What's up, kiddos? Clinton Yates here. For today's show, we wanted to dig back into one of our more fun investigations. When it comes to NFL fandoms, there might be none as loud and proud as Bill's Mafia. You've seen the viral videos of them jumping through tables. You've seen them come together on several occasions for charitable causes, especially last year with a heartwarming showing of support for DeMar Hamlin. But what you might not know is where the moniker Bill's Mafia actually comes from. Elena Getzenberg went on a mission to discover the origins of the NFL's most devoted fan base, and she shared them with Pablo Torre. Today, we're resharing them with you. It's Wednesday, December 27th. This is ESPN Daily. The most devoted, the most iconic fan base in the NFL is known in Buffalo and around the world by one term. Bill's Mafia. Bill's Mafia. Bill's Mafia. They call themselves the Bill's Mafia. Bill's Mafia. That's what the fans call themselves. We've learned this week that the Bill's Mafia is a very real thing. I want to thank uh, the Bill's fans, Bill's Mafia. I love Bill's Mafia. This is the greatest Everything. Freaking like, team Bill's Mafia. Mafia. And like any self-respecting mafia, Bill's Mafia is a family. A family that's been through a lot. A family that protects their own, no matter how much the universe tells them that they're no good. Now Norwood tries to kick his longest ever on grass. 47 yards. No good. Wide right. And the universe, for the record, often tells them this. Throws a lateral, and down the sideline, only Christie down there to stop the play, and they're going all the way with it. It's Dyson going for the touchdown. I said to watch for the lateral play. Unbelievable. Look at this. Like, unbelievably often. Mahomes in the gun, takes a snap, looks to throw, pumps once, fires towards the end zone, and it is caught. Touchdown, Kansas City. And the game is over. What a game. The Buffalo season is over. Talk about heartbreak. That is kind of the thing, actually. Bill's Mafia really does talk about heartbreak a lot. It's kind of a distinguishing characteristic at this point. They talk about heartbreak even when it is completely terrifying and unprecedented. The kind you need to get through together. Fans, players, and countless others have turned to prayer as they hope for the health and well-being of DeMar Hamlin. In Cincinnati, fans gathered outside of UCMC for a vigil at 8.55, marking the moment when he collapsed. And so they did. They held outdoor vigils. They prayed. They made so many donations. Throughout this week, the entire Western New York community, NFL family, and people from around the world have been praying for DeMar Hamlin. Today, we celebrate DeMar's recovery, our love for DeMar, and our gratitude. Please rise and show your support as only Bill's Mafia can. But... Even before the collapse and the revival of DeMar Hamlin put Bill's Mafia under the microscope, we had started to wonder something here, as is our want. We wanted to know where Bill's Mafia, the actual term, came from. Like, we know about the whole crashing through folding tables thing, which is their want. But we wanted to know who came up with the concept, the very famous brand, this very specific name. So... We started making calls. Lots of calls. Elena Getzenberg, Bill's beat writer, what did you know about the origins of Bill's Mafia when you first started this job? As an outsider, I had no idea, like, where Bill's Mafia came from and where that name even could have started. I only found out about it once I was covering the Bills, like, those pieces started coming together. The hardcore fans, the Bills fans that, you know, live and breathe this stuff, they know the big pieces of it. But as you kind of go out from that, it starts to be much less known, and some people don't even know about it at all. And some of those people who didn't know about it at all, we discovered, include the people who were directly involved in it. To them, this was a mystery. A mystery that would draw together a certain prominent NFL insider. Adam Schefter, are you aware 
how key a character you are in the origin story of Bill's Mafia? Pablo, I've heard bits and pieces. I don't know the full story. I know that somehow I was connected to something. A legendary fan from Buffalo. It's surreal just to have something that started out as a joke, which became kind of like a, a passion project. And then to see it just adopted, even by the team itself, it's crazy. A bearded Bills quarterback. First of all, I didn't know that was the origin story. So I think that is really cool. I think that's awesome. A hard-hitting safety out of Pittsburgh. I don't think about the game. I remember it, obviously, but it's a very small blip on the radar for me. And the wide receiver who still can't believe what happened. Like, I'll just be still thinking, like, damn, how the how the heck did I miss that? Like, it's just crazy. So crazy, in fact, that this mystery was also divine. He blamed it not catching that ball on God. So today, how an almighty blunder branded the most devoted fan base in the NFL and led to the birth of Bill's Mafia. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Elena Getzenberg, our Buffalo correspondent, how long have you been covering the Bills at this point? So I've actually only been covering the Bills for the past two seasons. I started right before the 2021 season, but uh, there's been, it's not been your usual two seasons on a beat. Let's just say that. No, and Bills Mafia, you know, What did you know about them? What did they seem like to you before you got on the beat? So I feel like I had come into it like I'm from Pittsburgh originally. I know what like Mm. passionate fan bases are like I get it. I do. Uh, (laughs) But there was something coming into this one where I was like, I don't really know what to expect. Like I've heard some wild, wild stories you hear about, like the the jumping into tables, yes. they're on fire, the, the crazy stuff. Um, and so I think I came in, a, came in a little afraid of like what I was going to be experiencing. Absolutely. Before doing this story with you, all I really knew, full disclosure, were the tables. Yeah, and the, the thing is, like, the tables are, like, the, just the smallest, smallest part. There's so much more to this fan base than just jumping in tables, and I've come to learn a lot about what that is. I think the other thing I would say is they their team is so much of their lives, and I mean that in the best way possible. So wait, as a Pittsburgh native, as someone who was, you know, born into the Steelers, what distinguishes Bill's Mafia, even from a fan base that, yeah, is also incredibly intense. Okay, I'm not trying to anger other fan bases at the same time. Diplomatic immunity on ESPN Daily. (laughs) I think there's something to the fact that Bill's Mafia has kind of been bonded by, and I mean this in a complimentary way, bonded by their pain, if that Mm. makes sense. Like, this is a team that lost four straight Super Bowls. No one else has even come close to doing something like that. And they've experienced so much sorrow Uh, so much disappointment that I think that really bonds people together. And when you sit through the times when teams, things aren't going well and there's losing and bad quarterback after bad quarterback, it it brings you together. And I think that's kind of what distinguishes this fan base is through the thick and the thin. And there's been a lot of thin. uh, They've kind of stuck with their team. Buffalo is not the biggest city in the world. It's a smaller city. Uh, When I moved here, there was a lot to learn about what makes up Buffalo because all I knew about it was 
the Bills and Wings, to be honest. And that's two <laughs> things they are very, very, very passionate about. Yes. If you want to get into a wing debate sometime, we can do that. But Oh, the takes. Uh, I've heard so many takes. <laughs> all the takes. So I do think it's kind of like these people who are working hard and not the biggest city. Um, it's cold. It snows. They experience all sorts of things. And their team has not been great at times. And that's what makes, you know, that's what's bonded them together, I think. Well, these people have been at it for a while, right? I mean, the team was founded in Buffalo in 1960. But what I was kind of stunned to find in our reporting is that the name Bill's Mafia, which does seem like it's been around for generations now, it's actually only been here for like 12 years. And literally everything I think we're about to explain here traces back to one very specific game and one very specific play. So what happened? So Sunday, November 28th, 2010, Steelers at Bills. It's week 12. The Bills, it's another tough season. Let's just say that. They're not doing great. Uh, two and eight. And this is a good Pittsburgh Steelers team. It's the height of Ben Roethlisberger. They actually go on to play the Packers in the Super Bowl that year. Mm. But I wanted to remember some of the details of this game. So I actually called up Del Reed, who's one of the most well-known Bills fans. I'm at home with my seven-year-old and four-year-old and my wife. And we're watching the game. And that season started out so terrible. They started out 0-8. And, and so in that game, to push Ben Roethlisberger and the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the perennial contenders... Uh, into overtime. And it was a huge deal. And this was a comeback, right? Like the Bills were down at some point? Yeah, the Bills were down 13 nothing to the Steelers, but they came back and pushed it into overtime 16-16. 49-yard attempt from the right hash. The Bills trying to tie it up. Snap is good. The kick is on the way. It is up, it is up, it is up, and it is good. The Bills tie it up with two seconds left on the clock. We are tied 16 all. The Bills and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And over time, this is where things, uh, yeah, they, they, they escalate, Elena. Because Ryan Fitzpatrick, our old friend, the Amish rifle himself, is the Bills quarterback at this moment. And he's doing what? So Ryan Fitzpatrick drives the Bills down into Steelers territory. They're moving down the field. Things are going well. And on first and 10, from the Steelers 40, he drops back, kind of gives the ball a pat and unleashes an absolute bomb downfield to wide receiver Stevie Johnson, who was <laughs> wide open in the end zone with not great coverage around him. Snap, play action fake, fits, sets up, fires deep, looking for Stevie Johnson inside the 10. And so we went looking for Ryan Fitzpatrick and two things quickly became clear here. A, the Amish rifle is his name on Zoom. And B, he remembered all of this pretty vividly. I had a pass to Steve Johnson. Um, he ran a great little high angle corner route. Do you remember uh, the safety who was covering? <laughs> Since you're asking, um, I'm going to put it together and say that maybe it was Ryan Clark. The first thing I think is, he's actually not my man. This is our man, Ryan Clark. Now our colleague, then the Steelers' safety, and easily the single closest person to an extraordinarily open Stevie Johnson. I'm in the deep middle of the field. Stevie Johnson is like, it looks like he's going to run a post across the field. I remember it was essentially a one-man route, you know, maybe with the check down by the back, but Stevie was to the left by himself, um, kind of had a max protection he ran up, made a nice move on a, the safety, and outran the corner to the pylon. So I'm getting ready to run with him to a post. He breaks back to the corner. It's a perfect throw. Should be a touchdown. Should be game. And ball released from my hand. Stevie ran a great route. Like, game was over. You know, ball was in the air, and we knew the game was over. Snap. Play action fake. Fits. Sets up. Fires deep. Looking for Stevie Johnson inside the 10. Um, and he drops it. He had the game-winning pass in his hands in the end zone, incomplete. Unbelievable. The whole stadium went crazy. Everybody thought he caught it. 
I had Jeff Hangardner comes at me, and then I had to tell him, oh, no, no, you know, he, he dropped it. We didn't make the completion. Going deep. He's got Johnson. Oh, he dropped the ball. That would have been the game winner. With a person whose voice we have not heard yet, very conspicuously now, the protagonist of this story is Stevie Johnson. And we should probably reintroduce Stevie Johnson to people here, Elena. What was it like to be Stevie Johnson entering this specific game? Yeah, Pablo, he was a seventh round pick, actually, uh, by the Bills back in 2008. And this was his best season by far. He ended up with a thousand receiving yards, had 10 touchdowns. So he came into this game actually coming off quite the performance, uh, three receiving touchdowns against the Bengals the week prior. And after one of them, he pulled up his jersey and was wearing a shirt that said, why so serious, which kind of, <laughs> he, right. he, he liked to put on a show. That's yes. like Stevie Johnson it, well, is a character, let's say that. And the thing that's even crazier, when we went back and looked at how this game finished, obviously, the Steelers, yes, win in overtime because of that drop. It's the post-game sound, Elena, that's still kind of haunting, like to hear Stevie Johnson sound like this. Me, I never get over it. I'll never get over it, ever. They will, you know, the Buffalo Bills will get over it, but I, I won't get over it. I, you, I'm, you're a receiver. You don't drop the ball and you go through 15 drops in the game. You know, I, I won't get over it. And Bills fans will never get over it either, as Del Reed told me. The win was literally in their hands, like in Stevie Johnson's hands. And of course, the next drive, like Steelers march them down the field and they score, win the game. Good snap, ball down, kick is on its way. Kick long enough, high enough, and the kick is good! Sean Sweezum goes four for four, and the Steelers win it in overtime at Orchard Park. Yes, the Buffalo Bills snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, of course. Again, not exactly an uncommon occurrence. But then something else happens, right? Something that happens that makes this play historically significant, in Bill's lore. Because, Elena, what does Stevie Johnson choose to do next as he, yes, is coming to terms with the enduring permanence of his failure? He tweets, as one does. Um, <laughs> uh, so here's exactly what he said. He tweeted it after the game uh, Sunday night. And I have to tell you, Pablo, and for everyone listening, before I read this, this tweet is in all caps. Yes. It is Filled. There's exclamation marks all over the place, question marks. It's a tweet that should be read shouting, but I will restrain <laughs> from doing so uh, today. Uh, so he said, he wrote, I praise you 24-7, a lot of exclamation marks, and this is how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? Question marks. Uh. How? I'll never forget this, ever. Thanks, though. And dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot. Yes, the ellipses, the ellipses after, and I'm counting, yeah, after the 19 exclamation points. I mean, I, I want to keep in mind here, too, that this is, this is 2010. This is the early days of Twitter, which means that this was especially confusing to at least one technologically detached person who was actively trying to decipher it. And that was the day I found out what Twitter was. This is extremely Amish rifle. I'm sure somebody just showed me, you know, what it was. But um, yeah, I still remember. I think it was like, I praise you 24-7 and you do this to me. Something like that. Yeah, I just remember laughing. <laughs> I remember L literally LOLing when I saw this on my phone in 2010. That's not how Bills fans reacted to it. Uh, as Del Reed <laughs> told us, there was more questions than answers about who Stevie could be referring to or what really had happened. Not sure if they actually maybe missed something. It was one of those things where I didn't even see the tweet at first. And I saw lots of other people tweeting like, oh my gosh, what did he say? Oh my. I found the tweet. And it was one of those things where like, is he, wait, is he talking about the fans? Is he talking about like, because well, you just, there's no context at first. And you're looking like, oh, he's talking about God. While he did receive a lot of support from Bills fans, uh, it, it caught attention uh, way, way beyond Buffalo. Let's just say that. Stevie Johnson blaming God for his big drop? He blamed it not catching that ball on God. And as you see, it's all in caps, so technically he's not just lodging a complaint, he's yelling at God. That's right. God missed that catch. And I applaud Steve Johnson for calling the old man out. Is God even on Twitter? 
Is the Supreme being paying attention to the NFL? Yesterday, after dropping a touchdown pass, a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills sent an angry tweet blaming God. <laughs> Lucky for him, he blamed the Old Testament God who's still on MySpace. Steve Johnson violated two commandments. Thou shalt not drop a touchdown pass, and thou really shalt not blame God if you do. Stevie Johnson was really kind of a heretic. Actually, you know, not kind of. Stevie Johnson was straight up blaspheming our creator. And also, incidentally, he was trending in a very 2010 sort of way on like all those late night shows and stuff. And it was all because of this drop that he had already said he was doomed to be permanently haunted by. Let's remember. And so now, Elena, back in the present, a dozen years later, we needed you to find him. Yeah, I was actually a little surprised because I reached out to him out of the blue. We had never spoken before, and he was pretty game to do it, to get on the phone and kind of talk us through uh, what this was like for him. He's now living in California. He runs an academy where he's helping mentor kids, and he kind of wanted to get on the phone and, and share what this, what his memory of this was like. I had a tough game that day, and uh, I felt like I let, let everybody down in the city when I didn't make the play. Like I just be still thinking, like, damn, how the how the heck did I miss that? Like, it's just crazy. He kind of wanted to share with fans of what his mindset was and what was a really low moment for him. And Pablo, he said he didn't really think about it much after that. When I put that specific tweet out, um, I put it out, and you know, I was, I'm true in it. That's what I felt, and I put my phone away, and I was just, just went and looked at the film over and over and over, and you know, um, figured things out and figured out how it happened. And when I did end up getting back on, on Twitter, like the next day, and then, um, I was like, dang, <laughs> this is kind of crazy. And that's when I understood, like, everybody don't really see it your way too. So I do really want to see it the way Stevie saw it. So as for the heresy part of this, Elena, did Stevie really blame God directly? Was that what he was trying to do there? Well, I'll let Stevie answer that one. I felt like when I made plays, I always thank God every time. He's the reason we make good things. I felt like he was when something go wrong like that. Yeah, you you allow that to happen too, you know. But I was just saying why. But um, I still felt the same same way I felt. But it was just ignorant of me to put it on social media like that. But man, I gotta say, I actually respect what Stevie Johnson put on social media in 2010. I respect the enduring spiciness of that tweet because he is still, very notably, still holding God accountable. All these years later, he is still asking questions about when he gets credit and what that means for, yeah, the entire idea of blame. It's kind of, it's kind of an important philosophical conversation the more I think about it now. But I also want to point out now that the reason we are talking about any of this Elena, is because Bill's Mafia also gets born because of this. And we still have not said how yet. And it's partly because we've been waiting for a new character to participate in this very important conversation. Who is it? Enter someone we both know, Adam Schefter, who decides to retweet it a full day later. Wait, so the whole thing, it's its also absurd how big a character Schefter is here, simply because, what, on Monday? On Monday, he sends to his millions of followers just Stevie's tweet, or a simple retweet. Why was that triggering? Well... It was because it was late, I think, is like a huge part of this here. Bill's fans thought he was kind of piling on to what had already been another traumatic day to be a Bill's fan, uh, and that he was kind of just trying to blow it up more. And it had already gotten so much attention. Then Schefter walks in and <laughs> retweets it almost 24 hours after the fact. So <laughs> it was like kicking when you're down, I think is a good way to say it. Uh, but Del Reed, Del Reed had some thoughts as well. I think it was right around like maybe like four o'clock the next day or something. Um, he retweets it. Adam Schefter retweeted Stevie's tweet at 4 p.m. And Bill's fans being the incredibly sensitive bunch that we are, we we jumped on him. It was more like just poking fun at the situation because Adam Schefter, every piece of 
information in the NFL either runs through him or Chris Mortensen, it feels like. So for this information broker to be sharing something, you know, 18 hours later or 24 hours later or whatever it was, um, was kind of funny. Why is Adam Schefter bringing up old <laughs> Seems to be the argument from Dell and all of these Bills fans, Aleda. So, yeah, I don't know if you've interacted with Bills fans much on social media, but when they feel passionate about something, they let you know. So that's what they did with Schefter here, flooding his mentions with a hashtag of hashtag Schefter breaking news. And they included like super old news items like Pearl Harbor got bombed and the Yankees are trading for Babe Ruth, which was really breaking (laughs) in the year 2010. So the Schefter breaking news had all sorts of fun old news events attached to it. They're trolling Shefty. I respect it, honestly. They're effectively trolling Adam Schefter. Yeah, and then they start to notice Del Reed and, and some of his friends pick up on the fact that Schefter has started blocking them. <laughs> so it was really like a tongue-in-cheek joke because here we were just poking fun at the guy. And, and the fact that he probably gets a million tweets a day and then somehow we stood out on his timeline that he blocked us. It just seemed like a, a, an overreaction. And maybe it was an overreaction. Maybe Del Reed was totally right. But we, we were curious. Adam Schefter, are you aware how key a character you are in the origin story of Bill's Mafia? Pablo, I've heard bits and pieces. I don't know the full story. I know that somehow I was connected to something. I think... Stevie Johnson was mad or upset about something. Am I correct? Am I on the right track? You're warm. You're warm. Do you remember? What do you remember about that Steelers-Bills game in specific from November of 2010, the Stevie Johnson game? Well, I remember the drop. I remember he tweeted. Is that is that what happened? Yeah, it was the drop. It was the tweet about him blaming God. It was this enormous thing nationally. And this is where you enter the story, Adam Schefter. Because... You retweeted it, but you didn't retweet it right when it happened. You retweeted it, apparently, according to Bill's Mafia, at like 4 p.m. on the Monday, the day after. Okay. And the thing was to them, it was was like, it, it was, we just got through this. Okay. We got through this trauma. It was old. And so apparently, according to them, they, uh, may or may not have flooded your mentions, Adam, which is probably a thing you were used to dealing with but this was yes (laughs) they were mad adam schefter bills mafia or what they were then before they were officially called bills mafia they were mad at the timing of your retweet let me apologize and say (laughs) there was zero about that zero that was intentional calculating conniving malicious like nothing zero I'm not tech savvy enough or aware enough (laughs) to be that cunning and cutting. For some reason at that time, honestly, I could tell you with how I operate, that would have been the first time that I would have seen it. I'm like, whoa, look at this. This is interesting. We'll let him speak out for himself, (laughs) right? I mean, what happened, by the way, I mean, first off, this I'm so glad I could uh, orchestrate this moment in sports diplomacy. But what apparently had happened, Adam, because this is all news to me, too, was that um, all of these Bills fans were very defensive of Stevie Johnson. They got into your mentions. They flooded your mentions. I do remember that. I, don't, I do remember that. Yeah. I don't blame you for what you did, apparently, in response, which is you started blocking a bunch of them. Okay. Back then, if somebody was offensive, they were blocked. So I don't know who was and wasn't, but we're a year into Twitter. <laughs> sure. You're not used to being called an ass. You're not being told to go yourself right so when you see a different time right you just block 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 that was my initial reaction one year into t- like what is this this is offensive i'm used to being called an ass now i'm called an ass <laughs> every day okay but when you're being called an ass being told to go yourself over and over for the first time that's a little bit alarming Right. So that's 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 the explanation for back then. So we should say, Elena, in fairness, that Del Reed 
had told you that he mostly remembers them being mostly good-natured, while obviously also trolling Adam Schefter. And Adam obviously remembers it quite differently. But the upshot is that the world moves on. The Bills keep on losing, as you alluded to earlier. They are very bad that season. They do not make the playoffs, of course. And many other fans, yes, remain banished by and from Adam Schefter's Twitter account. But what finally happens next? Well, let's fast forward to spring 2011. It's the week of the NFL draft. Perfectly normal. Happens every year. Not a big deal. Uh, but, you know, Del Reed decides to do a follow Friday on Twitter, which back then, you know, was a little more popping. People yeah. did a little more. Now it's like you'll no. see it every now and then. No, right? It's like, like old people. Old people do it now. But back then, sure. yeah, this was an absolute thing. It was a thing because it was Twitter was still getting going and all of that. So he makes uh, a choice to shout out some Bills fans. And in those people he chooses to ask people to follow, uh, he picks a very particular group, which ends up being historic because it's a group of people that had been blocked by Adam Schefter all the way back then, right after that Stevie Johnson drop. And I did like a follow Friday and I named a bunch of us that have been involved in that interaction. And so uh, I just, you know, I remember I was picking up a pizza and I was waiting for to bring it back to my parents' house and I was waiting for the pizza to get done. And I'm just standing there and just scrolling through Twitter. And then I said, oh, I didn't do I follow Friday yet. So I said, follow the Bills Mafia. And I named us and it just, that was it. And I am looking now at the founding document of Bill's Mafia. And <laughs> it's so funny that this is how this started. So hashtag follow Friday. This is from at Del Reed. Hashtag follow Friday. Hashtag Bill's Mafia colon. <laughs> at Brie underscore 88. At Leslie Ann 94. At St. Ryan with an H in there. At I'm so sure. At Buffalo Bills 12. At Bill's Fan 99. At Bill's 80. At MSZWNY. At KJAX at JMS303 big week exclamation point hashtag draft 258 p.m. April 22, 2011. Bills Mafia is born. But as for why Del Reed called themselves Bills Mafia, why did he go that route? So he didn't really like think that much through it like he kind of said now if he knew like it would get to where it was maybe things would have been different but it was kind of just something he chose in that moment and didn't put that much thought on it that it would become obviously what it has if i was trying to build a movement or i was trying to create like some brand around bill's fandom i wouldn't have used the team's name and i wouldn't have used the, the term mafia because even to this day people write in letters to the editor to the buffalo news complaining about uh, the term mafia and, and I was just making a joke, got the pizza, closed the phone down. And, uh, that night or the next day, people are still making jokes using that term and, you know, just kind of ran with it. And then over the months, it just became bigger and bigger. And you know, my go-to is always like, let's make a t-shirt about it. Right. And, um, I said, what if we took like a Twitter bird and we put like a red streak on it and just said Bill's mafia and sold shirts and see what happens. And, so we tried that and it took off. The extent to which it takes off is staggering now in retrospect, right? Because it's born on Twitter in this very specific, very bizarre way. And then as the bills have gotten better and better in the decade plus since, as you have now most recently started covering the team, like it just seems like this brand, this name and the team itself officially are, are inseparable. Yeah, everyone knows Bill's Mafia now, which is wild. Uh, actually, back in 2021, Bill's Mafia anthem became a thing from Benny the Butcher. And it was actually like the official playoff hype song. I heard it maybe too many times, but it, it was it was rocking. We say Mafia, that means family to me because we stand with the team best fans in the league. Bill's Mafia is actually everywhere now. I can't walk very far <laughs> around right. Buffalo without seeing it. Uh, it's the official hashtag. It's on clothes, official Bill's clothes, I should add. It's 
everywhere you go, you see Bill's Mafia on cars, on flags, on it is it is literally everywhere. And it's gotten so far that the Bills have actually trademarked Bills Mafia. And which I should add, that's actually something Del Reed uh, told me he's cool with. He's proud of it that his hometown team kind of has embraced Bills Mafia to the extent that it has. It's awesome to be at the stadium and hear them say Bills Mafia. It's cool to be a footnote in my favorite team's history, at the very least. It's really cool to, you know, be able to have conversations with some executives and actually have them hear you. Like when they reached out to me and they said, we're thinking about like, we're bringing Bill's Mafia kind of into the fold of the Bill's organization. And they, they listened to me. Like they totally understand the community aspects of what Bill's Mafia, you know, has always been. I think what I find funniest of all, though, is something actually simpler. It's, it's this fact that despite how visible, how omnipresent, how influential Bill's Mafia is now, so many of the main characters who were directly involved in this very absurd saga, who were themselves the dominoes in a bizarre chain of events that birthed this name, they just had no idea that they played a role in creating it. Not Ryan Fitzpatrick. Just feels like Bill's Mafia has been around forever, so that is pretty cool. I didn't know that was the origin story, so I think that's awesome. Not Ryan Clark. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome, Bills. <laughs> if I don't get, if I don't like get shook on that play, and if I cover it better, or if we do what we're supposed to do as a defense, then it's not like really a drop. Maybe we break it up. Maybe it's an overthrow. Mm. But because of me and the the Bills, owe the Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> some love. I would like some sort of Pittsburgh Steeler emblem logo somewhere in the Bills. When you hashtag Bills Mafia, there should be the Pittsburgh Steelers logo instead of a buffalo on there. And not Adam Schefter. So, Pablo, one day when I die and I succumb to the pressures of this job and life itself, will my obituary now read Adam Schefter, the man who helped inspire a movement in Buffalo and the creation of Bill's Mafia passed away today. Is that what my obituary is going to read? It absolutely is now. Wow. A founding father. A founding father, Pablo. (laughs) Right? There we go. And Bill's Mafia, I'm proud to be your daddy. They are not going to like that. But after the break, Bill's Mafia proudly births a movement itself. Picture this. You arrive at your hotel. You have an important online meeting lined up with clients from all across the country. You have your laptop open, ready to begin, and the Wi-Fi is so terrible you can't even connect. These type of stressful situations happen all the time, but they don't have to. When you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you have access to their free high-speed Wi-Fi. So you can take care of those critical emails, join your meetings on time, and even unwind by streaming your favorite shows without having to worry. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And this other part of Bill's Mafia that we need to get to here, obviously now, maybe the most famous part of them, if you've been paying attention to the news cycle most recently, is that they are so much more than, yes, the table jumping, the destruction of small pieces of property at a tailgate. It's it's a story, ultimately, a, mi- a truly mind-blowing story 
of charity. Like Bill's Mafia is not just a trademark. It's not just a hashtag. It's an actual charity. Yeah, so Del Reed, who we've been talking to throughout, actually started something called 26 Shirts. And what they do now is they make shirts all the time. And what they do with those shirts is the proceeds all go to different causes, different people who need help. They sell these cool shirts that have different bills-related things going on with them. So many of the shirts that we put out, when I see them, I see the person that it helps. Because every shirt that we sell gives back to a local family. So I see the family we helped. But that said, I do have a couple of favorites. We did one when Rex Ryan became the Bills head coach and it looked like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, but it was stylized like a Bills logo. And I was really proud of that. It raised uh, over $17,000 for a little girl who was fighting leukemia. It's really a cool way for Bills fans to kind of buy shirts and support good causes and their team. But it extends beyond that, too. Bills Mafia, Bills fans have kind of become known for giving back. I'm so proud of just what Bills Mafia has become in terms of supporting the community. Um, And not even even the community all the time. Like, sometimes players from other teams. It just seems like every season now, they come to somebody's rescue. Yeah, and my favorite example of it, and one that I still think is so, so cool, was... In 2017, that season where it was Sean McDermott's first year as a head coach, the Bills broke the playoff curse thanks to Andy Dalton, number 14 on the Bengals, who threw a touchdown pass to Tyler Boyd to beat the Ravens and gift the Bills a playoff spot. Dalton catches the football. He's back to throw. Inches up in the pocket. Throws. Caught by Boyd. The 15, the 10, the 5. Touchdown! Tyler Boyd on 4th and 12. It's a 49-yard touchdown. And the Bengals lead with 44 seconds to go. The longest drought in the four major sports of not making the playoffs is over. The Buffalo Bills go thanks to the Cincinnati Bengals. How about that? So, Bills fans, Bills Mafia, as we should now say, uh, donated to Andy Dalton's charity in significant amounts, all in that $14 increment, just like his jersey. Yeah, all those $14 donations added up to almost half a million dollars. After throwing the touchdown, I didn't think it was going to have this uh, this big of impact. But uh, we just wanted to say thank you to to the Bills Mafia and uh, and everybody that that's donating. Uh, we can't thank y'all enough. And again, just to be very clear here, this is a charity of an opposing player. Yeah, they do it when the team they're playing gets hurt. They really focus on all sorts of things, things you might not even expect, really. Uh, but some of the stand out are Lamar Jackson's foundation. Lamar Jackson had a rough ending to the game last night. But today, fans of the other team are trying to make it a little better, donating to one of his favorite Louisville charities. Tua Tungabailoa's foundation. I also like to uh, give a shout out to um, the Bills Mafia, their their fans. I remember when uh, I, I had uh, my concussion, they started a, a whole ordeal of uh, donating to my foundation. And that, that hasn't been lost. I just want to say that I really appreciate that. They'll give back in a way that's kind of staggering and it makes you take notice and because of the volume that it kind of comes in. Which brings us to these past two weeks. And we had started our whole investigation, Elena, months before a Bills player needed CPR on the field in Cincinnati, months before Ryan Clark, as it happens, went on ESPN during that Monday Night Football game and talked to America about DeMar Hamlin, a fellow safety with ties to Pittsburgh. When you see the medical staff rush to the field and both teams are on the field, you realize this isn't normal. You realize this isn't just football. And he was right. It was about so much more than sports in general, because almost immediately, all of the crowdfunded charity that Bill's Mafia had become famous for, it got projected right back at DeMar Hamlin. His Chasing M's Foundation, which at last check received over $8 million in donations, it got flooded thanks to an old toy drive 
that he had posted on GoFundMe back in 2020. Andy Dalton actually donated, explicitly crediting the generosity that Bill's Mafia had previously shown towards him. And again, just because this remains deeply insane to me, this is a movement that literally got started because of a tweet from a wide receiver who wanted to hold the almighty accountable online. And so last Sunday, Elena, you were there. You were there for the kickoff of Bill's Patriots in Buffalo as DeMar Hamlin's health was finally trending upward. And what were you thinking during that moment? I thought, no way. Like, I remember being like, this this isn't happening. I'm not even, I had gone out to take a video of like the pregame stuff, what it, to kind of give people a, a sense of what it felt like. I wasn't fully back in my seat yet. And I see Naheem Hines running down the field and it was like, wait, I, I'm not ready for this. Here's Hines on the run back, breaking a tackle and taking it past midfield. And down the sideline he goes. This is storybook. An opening kickoff return for Tamar Hamlin. And this place is absolutely going wild. We're still like dealing with everything else. It was just such chaos. But like that stadium, the feeling in there, I've never experienced anything like that. It it went nuts. Uh, It was a moment of disbelief, I think, for so many people. It's not like Naheem Hines had been like putting off these like great kickoff returns this season. And then all of a sudden he's running downfield for this touchdown. And it was a moment unlike anything else. And dude did it twice. Right, Naeem Hines returns two kickoffs for touchdowns in that same game to end the regular season. And right after the game, a, a kind of trembling Josh Allen, he sits down at the postgame microphone and he unknowingly brings the divine trajectory of Bill's mafia full circle. It was, it was just spiritual. And I just, I was going around and I just, I mean, I was going around my team and saying, God's real. Like, you can't, you can't, Draw that one up, write that one up any better. But the feeling in the stands of that game, the feeling that you get just being and living around Buffalo as you talk to all of these members now of, yes, Bill's Mafia. What's the word that comes to mind? The word that we hear the most, I'd say, is family. You know, Mafia means family family. I say family comes to mind and the whole sense of it. You know, you have that feeling, just that comfortable feeling with fam. Um, and it's not always perfect. They've seen everything. They've seen every evolution of you. And the love is always there no matter what. Family is the, is the, uh, the thought I get when I, when I hear Bill's Mafia. You know, it's hard not to think of Bill's Mafia as a story about, yes, a a familial, truly almost unconditional sort of love. The love where no matter how badly you screw up, even if you drop the game-winning touchdown, apparently, in overtime, you're still one of them. As Ryan Clark, the guy who, again, had the best and closest view of the original play in question, observed. It's like the Bill story, though, so close yet so far type story that has been the history of the Bills and the Bills Mafia. And I think that's why that that fan base is so passionate, right? Because they've tasted success, but they've never gotten to eat the whole meal yet. And that's what they're still waiting on. It's the I'll love you no matter what families. There's not a lot of those, right? I'm going to ride for you when nobody else is riding for you. I'm going to believe in you when nobody else is believing in you. And there's a sense of that energy in DeMar because it was a very grave situation. It was a situation that didn't seem to have signs of of working out in a way that would be positive or that would say he would make a full recovery. And just to see that those those signs are there and that it's a fan base that has been long suffering it truly has and they got a win bro you know what i mean like this is a freaking win 
it would be awesome for them to win the Super Bowl this year. Just that story, right? For for hopefully if DeMar is healthy enough at that time to hoist the Lombardi. Because I'm sure they would make sure he got an opportunity to hold it in front of the entire world. And I hope they win the Super Bowl. But if they don't, man, they have so much to be joyful about. And I hope that the Bills Mafia understands how the rest of the world sees them now as Demar Hamlin will get to learn how the entire world sees him. So Elena, at the very end of our investigation here, what are you expecting to see in Buffalo on Sunday? It's going to be an absolute scene. If last week was crazy enough, and with all the emotions that came with that, This is a home playoff game against the Miami Dolphins, a team that Bill's Mafia hasn't been afraid to share their feelings towards this year. The the rivalry is reignited. Weather conditions played a significant role in that. Uh, Snow, heat, we could go on about that. (laughs) All the elements. All the elements. And it's this big game that starts what Bill's fans hope is a Super Bowl run. And add on top of all of that, Damar Hamlin was discharged from the hospital on Wednesday and able to return to his apartment in Buffalo to be with his family and really be back in what has become his home here in Buffalo. And I think when we get to kickoff 1 p.m. Sunday, right there in Orchard Park at Highmark Stadium, I'm going to be thinking about all of these people we just heard from. From Del Reed to... Ryan Fitzpatrick, and of course, Stevie Johnson, and even Ryan Clark, who now has an investment in this team, but also the people that saved Damar Hamlin's life, who are going to be all over the country, along with all of Bill's mafia, celebrating their family member returning home. Elena Getzenberg, thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. It was my honor. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow, kiddos.